Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's focus on our sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. It is wonderful to spend some time with you on a Wednesday afternoon to share some ideas together and to learn some of the Holy Torah. Today is the second day of the month of Kislev. Um, and Kislev is a month of light and a month of miracles and a month of redemption for the Jewish people because it's in this month, the month of Kislev, that we celebrate the festival of Hanukkah. Hanukkah is the 25th of Kislev, so we've got about three weeks to go, just over three weeks to go till the beginning of Hanukkah. Um, and so the light of Hanukkah brings light to our souls and light to the world. Please God, we should all connect with the holy light of Hanukkah. And hopefully as we get closer to Hanukkah, we'll be able to speak more about it and, uh, and describe the importance and the significance and the relevance of Hanukkah um, to all of us today. I wanted to mention that yesterday was Rosh Chodesh Kislev, was the first day of the month of Kislev, and um, on the first day of the month of Kislev, a uh, 12 years ago, a terrible incident took place in India, in Mumbai. Um, that's the day when Rabbi Gavriel and Rivka Holzberg were murdered by Islamic terrorists um, who killed more than 200 people on that day in Mumbai, in India, including the Holzbergs. And they were a, a couple who selflessly devoted themselves to doing good and to bringing light into the world. They ran the Chabad house in Mumbai, and uh, their murder was a, a great tragedy and something that um, disturbed and shook up the entire Jewish world. So we remember them 12 years later, and we remember the light they brought to the world and tremendous dedication and um, mysterious nefesh, self-sacrifice to bring um, Yiddishkeit and goodness into the world. Today is the second of Kislev, and today is the side of a great sage, of one of the great um, leading Rabbonim of the 20th century, Rabbi Aaron Kotler. Rabbi Kotler was born in 1892 in Lithuania, and uh, he left Lithuania um, just before the war, and he went to America, to the United States, and um, he he was a, a a great genius, Rav Kotler, a great Talmud Chochem. He learned under the Alta of Slobodka, and he was the son-in-law of Rabbi Isazalm and Malza. So he already came from rich stock and was exposed to the Alta Slobodka, was one of the great educators um, in the Jewish world in the 19th century. Rabbi Kotler um, was at the forefront of many efforts to try and rescue Jews from the Shoah, from the Holocaust, he was instrumental in persuading Henry uh, Mortengar, the, tre the Treasury of the United States, the Treasury Secretary of the United States, to uh, help Jews, to save Jews, uh, to risk his political career to do so. In 1943, Rabbi Kotler founded the Lakewood Yeshiva in New Jersey, and that's now grown into the largest institution of its kind in America with over 5,000 um, students of all levels, of very advanced levels, 
And so Lakewood today is a, really a shining light, a beacon of light in the United States and in the Jewish world, founded by Rabbi Kotler in the middle of, second, of the Second World War in 1943. So he was a person of tremendous vision and tremendous dedication. And we have his works, Mishnah's Rabbi Aaron, which are fantastic um, teachings of Ashkofa, of outlook for a Jew. And he certainly was one of the protagonists in laying the foundation of Yiddishkeit in the United States and in the world, Jewish world in general in the 20th century. So uh, he died in the year 1962, Rabbi Kotler, and his Yotzat is today the second of Kislev. Also, I want to share with you um, some beautiful and powerful ideas of the Parshas that we are reading. Um, we're now in Sefer Bereshis, and as you know, Sefer Bereshis is about the Abos and Imaos, about our illustrious patriarchs and matriarchs, and it's filled with such rich, powerful um, lessons of life and uh, guidelines of what we're doing in this world and what we're supposed to be doing in our lives. And the beginning of this week, Pasha, Pasha's told us, Rivka and Yitzchak, Rivka and Isaac are married, and um, Rivka is struggling to fall pregnant. And uh, after many, many years and after davening um, intensely for the privilege of falling pregnant, eventually she does fall pregnant. And she goes through a very strange experience, Rivka. She goes through something that um, she realizes is not normal, seems to be quite abnormal to her. The Torah describes this and says, So she has with inside of her a tremendous turmoil and conflict. Um, and she realizes that, you know, this movement inside of her, of the infant that's inside of her, is something that's uh, very, very strange and very, very painful. And she asks her friends, and she says to them, you know, did you go through the same experience, and did you experience the same turmoil when you were pregnant? And she described what she was feeling, and her friends told her, no, you know, and as a matter of fact, I've had a number of children, and I never experienced anything like that. And so she realized that there was something unique and different and um, abnormal going on inside of her. The Toyma, so she said, She said, why do I need this? If that's the case, that it's not normal, and that uh, um, uh, this terrible upheaval and turmoil is taking place at different times during this pregnancy, why is this happening to me? The Teilech Lidrosh is Hashem. So the Torah says she went to find out from Hashem what was going on in the good old days when people were very holy and on a very high spiritual level. So they would um, go to a Navi, to a prophet, and ask the prophet why certain things were happening in their lives. And the prophet would then tell them, would be able to, he would have nevuah, he would have access to the eternal world. He would see beyond the uh, physical dimensions we live in where we're locked into time and space. And he would be able, the Navi, to to peer into the world of eternity, which is beyond time and space, and explain why certain things are happening to a certain individual. So she went to Shem, who was alive at the time, the son of Noach, and she asked him what is going on, why is this terrible um, discomfort taking place, this turmoil going on inside of me while I'm pregnant with this child. The Yoma Hashem, Hashem, it was revealed to Shem, um, through uh, the, the Navi revealed what Hashem wanted her to know, and that was Shnei Goyim Bevitnech, that you're not pregnant with a single child, you're pregnant with twins, you've got two children inside of you. 
and two nations are going to come out of you. There are two nations that are going to emerge from this pregnancy. And he concluded, Verav Yavod Tsair. And the older one will serve the younger one. The one who's born first will end up being subservient to the younger one. So that's what is told to Rivka. Now the Orachaim Akadosh, the great holy Orachaim, he asks the question. He says, what is going on over here? The Torah is now describing the um, situation with Rivka. But it seems to be quite strange that, um, firstly, she is a holy woman. She was a Tzadakis. Rivka. How could it be that a Tzadakis of the caliber of Rivka would complain and say, what do I need this for? You know, why is this happening to me? A holy person doesn't behave in that way. A holy person understands that everything that happens is for a reason. And everything's part of our journey in life. And Hashem, even if we're going through challenges and difficulties, Hashem is testing us and Hashem is looking at us and Hashem is wanting us to come through. A, a, a righteous holy person to say, what do I need this for? You know, complaining like a spoiled child. So it seems like Rivka's doing that. It's very out of character. It's, uh, it's in contrary to everything we know about Rivka. That's the first question the Orachim asks. And the Orachim asks the second question. The answer, why was that an appeasement to her? Why was the answer to the question, now she was satisfied and she was comforted? No, there's, it's not one child, it's two children, it's twins. Oh, and now she's happy. So the Orachim says, what is going on over here? We need to understand beneath the superficial understanding, the depth of what is actually taking place. So please stay with us. We'll bring you the answer to this beautiful questions of the Orachayim when we come back after this break. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So we just asked the wonderful two questions of Orachim HaKadosh. Why is it that Rivka says, why do I need this when she's experiencing a very turbulent pregnancy? And secondly, the answer that she's given seems to appease her. Why is that an appeasement that she's carrying twins? How does that help her? So Orachim explains very beautifully. And he says that um, we understand, Rivka understood. that. Oh, so let's paint the picture over here. Let's get perspective. We have Avram and Sarah who literally changed the world and the first ones to connect to God and to um, understand that there's a benevolent creator of the world and the world, the basis and, and underpinning of everything is chesed, olam chesed yibane, and they dedicate their lives to teaching the world about one God, about monotheism, about the kindness of a God, about human responsibilities and morality in the world. They now have a son Yitzchak and Yitzchak marries Rivka and they're the ones who are entrusted in carrying on this legacy forward and teaching the world about the existence of God and the obligation to serve God. And now Rivka is pregnant. She was waiting a long time, and she understands that her and Yitzhak would have to pass on this mantle of leadership and this responsibility to the next generation. And so she is obviously, and Yitzhak is obviously very, very happy and relieved and excited when she falls pregnant. But now she experiences this very traumatic, turbulent pregnancy. And she thinks, what, what is going on? So Rashi explains, well, why was the pregnancy so difficult? Because when she would go past a base of a house of idol worship, um, so there would be a tremendous movement and activity inside of her, which would be very painful for her. And when she went past a place of Kedusha, a Makom Kadosh, like 
she went past Sunny Road Kehillah, or she went past uh, Or Sameach, or the Mir Yeshiva, or any center of holy practice of, of Judaism. So then he went, there was another tremendous movement inside of her, which was unnatural and very painful. And so she thought that there's a child inside of her that was pulled in two directions, pulled toward idol worship and pulled toward serving God and truth. And so she thought our role and job in this world is to separate good from bad, is to the sin of Adam and Chava is that they ate from the Eitzadas Tovera. They, by eating from the Eitzadas, good and bad became intermeshed and mixed up together. And the work of the Avos the, and the Imaos, the work of the patriarchs and matriarchs, was to separate good from bad, to clearly delineate what is good and what is holy and what Hashem wants of us, and to distinguish and to move away from and to escape the evil and bad that exists, and to separate that mixture of good and bad. So she thought, Rivka, that now I've got a child that you've drawn after both sides, after good and bad. Lama ze'anoichi, what do I need this for? Why the, our job in this world, that my myself and my husband Yitzchak, our mission in this world is to separate the good from the bad, to carry on the work of Amram Sarah. But if I've got a child that mixes them together, why do I need this? It's going to be contrary to the goals of my life and the life of my husband. And that was very distressing for her. That was that. That is what was bothering her. She wasn't bothered by the fact that she was having a difficult pregnancy. She knew life is full of challenges. She knew that it doesn't go the way we want always. She wasn't a spoiled child. She knew that she has to face up to the challenges that Hashem sends her. But she was very disturbed by the thought that this child within her was was not separating good from bad, but was mixing them de- together and going back and would be reversing all the work that Adam and Chava and uh, that um, Avram and Sarah did. And so she answered, Hashem sends her an answer through the Navi, through shame. Hashem says to her, well, it's not actually one child, it's two children. And the one child is drawn off to Kedusha and the one child is drawn off to Tumor. The one child will carry on the work and will um, be have a propensity to continue the legacy of the Jewish people. And the other child will be one who is drawn after Tuma, after Taiva, after um, the superficial attractions that this world has to offer. And that's going to be a clash between the two. Oh, so now she's comforted. Now Rivka feels much better. Now she is has the knowledge that within her is not a child that's going to mix good and bad, but rather it's two different children, and one will be drawn after the one will be drawn after the bad. So that's a big relief to Rivka. And the knowledge that the work that Avram and Sarah did and that her and Yitzhak are carrying on will be passed on to the next generation as it was, as we know, was passed on to Yaakov and Rachel and Leah. Okay, so it's a beautiful understanding um, that the Orachayim brings to the situation. The Nasir Shalom extends on this. He, he continues in the same way, in the same uh, theme. And he says a very beautiful thing. He says that the... the what does it mean? The end of what was told to Rivka was that Varav Yavod Sa'ir, that the younger one will dominate the older one. The older one will be subservient to the young one. What's that referring to now? How is that a continuation? He says because Rivka was told a lesson which is applicable and valuable and, and uh, relevant for all times, for all future generations. And that is within all of us also, we have these two forces. We have the Yetzir Tov, 
and we have the Yetzirah. We have the propensity for Kedusha, for truth, for holiness, for uh, spirituality, and that for physicality, for um, ful- fulfilling our physical desires, for just being totally uh, entrenched in the material physical world. And that struggle is a constant battle, just like it was inside of Rivka. And the younger one will serve the older one. In other words, the Yetzir Tov has the ability to overcome the Yetzirah. The Yetzirah is the older one. Why is the Yetzirah the older one? Because we know, as the Pasuk says in Bereshis, the Pesach Chatas Roivetz, at the opening sin crouches, which means, it means many different things and many different applications, but one of them being that at the opening, as soon as we, at the opening to the world emerges for the Neshoma, as soon as the child comes into the world, Chatas Roivetz, sin is crouching. Sin is there right at the beginning. And that's the Yetzirah. The Yetzirah is a part of us and is entrenched within us from day one, from the moment that we are born. The Yetzir Tov, however, has um, a bit of catching up to do. The Yetzir Tov only emerges within the personality of the child, within the mindset and consciousness of the child, when a child becomes an adult. So according to Jewish law, a girl becomes an adult at 12 and a boy at 13. So uh, uh, girls are more advanced, as we know. Uh, girls pick things up quicker. So the girl matures more quickly than the boy, and her Yetzir Tov already emerges at the age of 12, when she has her bat mitzvah, and the boy's Yetzir Tov only emerges a year later when he has his bar mitzvah at 13. And in fact, Rav Chaim Vital says a very beautiful thing. He says the mission, the first mission in Psachim, says, Or la arba asa chometz, that in, in the light of the 14th, the beginning of the 14th of, of, um, Nisan is when we search for chometz. So Rav Chaim Vital says that's also an indication of the life of a, of a human being, that at the light of 14th, in other words, the beginning of the 14th year, Bodkin is a chomets. That's when we are able to search our chomets. That's when we are able to find, um, the existence of, of the chomets, of the Yetzirah. That's when we develop the consciousness and awareness of the Yetzirah in our lives. And, um, so we're saying that the Yetzirah is immediate from birth. Yetzirah only comes at 12 or 13 for a boy, a girl or boy respectively. Um, we know the Yetzirah is immediate um, because Esav, when he, as soon as he's born, uh, his name was Ad, he was Admoini, Edom, Alkan Karishmo Edom. He was red. The red represents Taiva and desire, the, where the blood boils to follow after our physical desires. And his name is Esav because it's from a Lashon Asui, which means he's made already. He was born hairy. He was born completed. He was born or, or, as soon as he hit the ground, hit the ground running, he was uh, up and away. So that's the Yetzor. The Yetzor is immediate as soon as we are born. And the Yetzor Tov comes much later. Yetzor Tov is only develops as we develop ourselves into becoming, emerging into adulthood. Um, and furthermore, so it's a beautiful understanding that the Yetzor Tov is there at the beginning, and the Yetzor is there at the beginning. The Yetzor Tov takes time to emerge. But then why? So Rav Yavid, so the, the older one, which is the Yetzirah, will serve the younger one, right? So how do we see that? Because Yaakov is born holding the heel of Esau. And that's why the Torah says, Alken Karishmol Yaakov, because Yaakov stands for Yad Ekev, his hand was holding onto the heel of Esau. So how do we know that, um, the, where do we get this promise from? That the younger will be dominant of the older? Where does that come from? Where do we learn that? So that comes from, that emerges from the um, understanding that um, Esav 
is uh, will be subservient to Yaakov when ya- Yaakov will be holding on to his heel. But there's a certain con- in other words, you could say that you know why is his name Yaakov? That was a once-off event when he was born. He's holding the heel of Jacob. Asab, why? That's not an eternal thing. That's not something that will last forever. That's a once-off um, uh, incident when he was born. And the answer is no. It actually is eternal. That 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 name Yaakov represents the essence of Yaakov. And within that name Yaakov is the key to a Rav Yavot Sayer, to Yaakov dominating Asa, to the Yetzer top overcoming the Yetzer. And that is, the Siva Shalom says a very beautiful thing. He says that um, Yaakov comes from the wording Akev, right? Akev is, uh, um, so yeah, it's Yud Akev. Now Akev, Ayin Kuf Beis, is the Rosh Tevis stands for uh, Kadesh Atzmacha Bumuta, sanctify yourself in that which is allowed, which is muta. So a, a, a person, the growth and development of a Jew is when we sanctify ourselves into that which is allowed, which is muta. Um, so we need to do that. Um, sorry, I'll be once. I just got interrupted. Um, so um, the, the if we akev is. Um, it stands, these words are Ayin Kufbeis, stands for Kadesh Atzmacha Permuta. Sanctify yourself in that which is allowed, which is permitted. When a Jew lives a life of sanctifying that which is permitted, so then, and that's the, the words of Akev, that spells Akev, so then he's going to be dominant over the Yetzirah. Why is that, says the Siva Shalom? Because when we sanctify ourselves with that which is Muta, which that which is allowed, um, we we are dedicating ourselves to serving Hashem, the Shem Shemayim, for the sake of heaven. In other words, when we are serving Hashem, um, we doing we're not doing avodas, not doing transgressions, and we're doing mitzvahs. So usually that's because we're worried about our, the punishment, schar va'onish, that there's consequences, that this world is not a vacuum, that our lives, are the choices we make in our lives, we're going to have to answer up to them. And when we get to the other side and leave this world, we're going to meet HaKadosh Baruch Hu Hashem. There's going to be a massive court case, and we're going to have to answer up for all the choices made in our lives. That's for sure going to be for every single one of us, which is a scary prospect. And that often keeps us in place and keeps us on the straight and narrow. But when we're serving Hashem, not because we're worried about the consequences. We're serving Hashem because we want to serve Hashem, because we love Hashem. That's Kadesh Atzmacha Bumuta. You're sanctifying yourself in even that which is allowed. A, a person is living a life of responsibility, a life that Hashem wants us to live. As the Rambam says, Don't be a despicable person with the permission of the Torah. We live within the bounds of Allah, within the frame of Allah, but we are sanctifying ourselves. We're living a holy life. Kedushim to you. We're living a life of Kedush, of sanctity, within that which is allowed within Torah. So that shows that a person wants to serve Hashem for a love of Hashem. And when somebody does that, that's the key to overcoming the Yetzirah. So when it's Kadesh Atzmacha Bamuta, which is the letters Akev, so then Yaakov is dominant. That's the promise that um, is made to Rivka um, by Hashem, that Hashem sends Rivka this message, that the older one will be servant, so servant to the younger one when he's Akev, when he's Yaakov, when Yaakov is living like Yaakov, when he's Kadesh Atzmacha Bamuta, when he sanctifies himself into that which is permitted in his life. So, or in her life. So when we live a life of sanctity and of holiness, of course within the bounds of Allah, not doing transgressions and doing the mitzvahs, but we make an effort to live a holy life and to be holy people, so then we will overcome the Yetzirah, the lower part of ourselves, the, the, um, 
the base part of ourselves. So where's the Yud? If that was the case, it would just be Akev. So Akev, Yaakov is Akev, which is Kadesh Atzmacha Bamuta. So where's the Yud? So the Siva Shalom explains and says the Yud is a reference to Hashem's name. We see in Pashas Pinchas that when the Shvatim, when the tribes are being, um, are being counted and are being described, there's a hey and a yud, a hey at the beginning and a yud at the end. Hager shoni, hamerari, um, is how the tribes are counted. And that hey and yud, Rashi says, indicates that Hashem is meid. Hashem testifies that they are holy, that they are living a life of holiness, of kedusha. So the yud is a test, is is Hashem testifying that the Jew is sanctifying themselves in the world of Muta. Then he's Yaakov. So when the Jew sanctifies himself or herself in that which is allowed. So then the Yud of Hashem becomes part of the life, and that's Yaakov. So we are Yaakov and have the Yud of Hashem connected to us. Hashem testifies that He's a part of our world, He's close to us, when we sanctify ourselves in that which is Allah, which is Muta, which is really a beautiful understanding of this promise that's made to Rivka that the older one will be servant to the younger one. When the younger one is living, when, when Yaakov is Yaakov, then he'll dominate Esau. When he's not Yaakov, and when he's emulating Asaph, and when he's also chasing after the presence of this world, and trying to fulfill his desires to the maximum, and not living with a cognizance of spirituality, so then he's a, he's he, he won't dominate Asaph. Asaph will dominate him. The older one will dominate the younger one. The younger one only dominates when he overcomes his lower self and rises himself to live in a holy way um, within within the bounds of Allah, and then Hashem is connected to him. And is a part of it. We'll continue with more about the great lessons we learn from Yaakov and Esav in a moment after this act break. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. Okay, so we're learning such beautiful and powerful lessons about the human psyche, how we are, that we all have within us, Yaakov and Esau. And we're all really faced with the dilemma that Esau faced every single day of his life. On the one hand, on the every day of our lives too, on the one hand, Esau had the Bechori, he's the firstborn. And the firstborn was entrusted with the Avoida, Avoidas Hashem. Avoidas by something that was serving Hashem. And that was given to Esau. That was his birthright. And uh, he could choose that which requires a maturity, which requires a long-term understanding, which requires a vision. of a, It's not an immediate payoff, but it's a long-term investment. Um, and on the other hand, he, he has also within him, Esau, this desire for instant gratification. The, his stomach is empty. He's hungry. He wants to eat the burger. He wants to eat the lentil soup. He wants to get pleasure immediately. And that is the constant struggle within all of us, is do we have the maturity and do we have the patience to invest in spirituality, to invest in something that the payout will be for eternity but won't necessarily be immediate? Or do we turn to the quick fix, to the fleeting pleasure, to the temporary thrill, of instant gratification. I'm hungry, and you know we live in a world where the whole world is hungry, and the whole world is chasing after instant gratification. The whole world wants nash, 
and superficial pleasures. And when we're filled with nash, we never really get full. And that's what we're living in. We're living in a the Facebook generation, the, Insta, the Instagram generation, the Netflix generation, where it's all about superficiality and instant gratification. And that's not going to provide fulfillment for the soul. The soul will not be satisfied with nash and with junk food. The soul wants real substance. The soul wants to connect to God and to truth and to morality and to eternity. And that's why we see in our generation there's so much unhappiness and there's so much addiction and there's so much depression because people don't have meaning and substance in their life. They constantly are preoccupied with the junk food of our generation and there's very little nutrients for the soul. There's very little real substance and meaning in life. And that only comes through spirituality. That only comes through connecting to God and to truth and to a higher morality and a higher truth. And that was the struggle and battle that Asaph faced in his life too. And it says, the Pasuk tells us, that, um, that Asaph ate and he drank, and he got up and he left, so we know he came in and he was hungry and he was thirsty. And Yaakov knew that Esav was not going to carry the responsibility of the Bukhoyer, of the Avoida, um, as he should. And he knew therefore for the future of Klaisra, he would need to legally gain the right to the Bukhoyer from Esav. And so Esav comes in starving and Yaakov is cooking this delicious lentil soup, this minestrone, and Esav says... Give me some soup. Halitenu nam in a adama adama pour from this red substance into my mouth. And Yaakov says, I'll do it, but in exchange for the, for the Bechayr. And Esav says, yeah, why the hell not? Of course, you know, I'd much rather have that delicious soup now than have to do the avoider, which takes years and years of, of discipline and of dedication. And what do I need that for? It was Asaph's attitude. The Ramban says an amazing thing, Nachmanides, says a very powerful thing on this. He says about Asaph, um, spurning the Bechorah, says the Rambam, ki, ein chefetz buksilim, raksha yoichlu v'yishtu v'yasu chefzam b'itam. That fools, they just want to eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow, we will die. V'lo yachushu l'yomachar. They don't worry about tomorrow. They don't consider what's going to be tomorrow. They are so preoccupied with the here and now and with the uh, desires and enticements and and um, lure of this physical world that they don't even consider and think about what's going to be after this world that we're living in. So it's an amazing, there's an amazing deal that Rabbi Elephant um, points out in the Ramban over here. He says two things. He doesn't call Esav a Russia. He calls him the Ksil, a fool. And he says, he doesn't say, He doesn't believe that there's a world to come. He doesn't believe that there's another world after this world. He doesn't say that. He says, He doesn't consider. He doesn't regard as important and significant the next world. He doesn't con- consider its relevance. It's an incredible thing. So Asa believed in the world to come. He knew that, oh gosh, he wasn't a fool. You know, that he wasn't an idiot to realize that it's just about this world here and now and then it's over. It can't be. This incredible, unbelievable, intricate, perfect world that we live in is not by chance, is not by accident, is not a coincidence. It was created by a wise creator, an omnipotent, benevolent creator who set it all up this way 
and the thousands and millions of variables that have to be in place for human life to exist is not a coincidence. Don't be fooled. Don't be, don't be uh, blinded. It's impossible. The chances of that happening are so unlikely statistically, are so, so unlikely. So much higher the statistical probability that it's an accident than the, the chances of, of uh, evolution taking place. The fact that there's a creator is just basic common sense. It has to be. It's foolish to think anything else. Don't listen to their propaganda and their, um, their nonsense that they'll try and, and uh, shove down your throat. It's not true. There has to have been a creator. It's just logical elementary thinking that there's a creator of this world, that this intricate, perfect, vast world is not by chance or accident. It was created by the creator in order for us to live, for human beings to have a life in this world. And we have a choice. We choose between good and bad. We choose between right and wrong. And then we will be paid out for our choices in eternity. That's that's what's going on over here. And to not be able to see that clearly is is a great blindness, is a great foolishness, that we shouldn't fall, fall into that trap of foolishness. So Asaph knew that. He knew there's a world to come. 100% he knew. Of course this world is not an accident and, and just by random molecules banging against each other. That's ridiculous. Of course Asaph didn't believe that. He knew there's a world to come. But the lure of the physical world was so strong that he, he couldn't overcome it. He couldn't let it go. He couldn't dedicate his life to eternity because it was too, it just dominated him in too much of an intense way. He couldn't resist the physical world. So that's what the Rambans say. That he didn't consider the next world because this world was too strong. And he called him a ksil. What's the opposite of a ksil? Is a chacham, is a wise person. What does it say in Pirke Avos? Ezu chacham, who's the wise person? The one who sees what's coming. One who sees what the consequences are. One who sees what the results are going to be. The chacham won't smoke. Because he knows it's going to cause lung cancer. The Chacham won't be a glutton and, and overeat because he knows he'll be obese and it will damage his house, health. The Chacham sees that this world is a temporary world, that this world is limited, that this world is short. After 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, if we're lucky, we're going to be leaving this very short sojourn and journey in this world. And the soul lives forever. And then we have to face up to what we've Done with our life in this world. How have we developed the soul? Have we done something with it? Have we have we uh, uh, developed the raw material into into something substantial? That's our legacy in eternity. That's what we're going to face on the other side. And Asab. So, so what is the chacham? The chacham. The, and this is a beautiful chiddush of, of Rabbi Elephant that I heard, which is I think very powerful. The chacham is one who the here and now is as powerful. And as luring as what's to come, of what's the noilat is, of what is the consequences of one choices are. In other words, they're on a par. They, they, it's not that the here and now dominates them and they can't say no. They see what's going to be in the future. They project what the consequences of these choices are going to be. And therefore, here and now, when we're making the decision, it is as strong as the lure of the physical pleasure that we face in front of us. Isn't that beautiful? So that's the chacham. And that was the, the Asaph didn't have that. Esav, he was not raw as I know that. Esav just had the physical desires and temptations of this world. And he couldn't turn them down. And he couldn't overcome them. Because the consequences of the long-term investment didn't have make an impression on him. The Chacham sees that. And in the here and now, that determines his or her decision. And in, in the current ordeal 
that they face. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So we are, are describing the, the challenge of Asav and unfortunately the failure of Asav. Asav is not able to overcome the desires and the luring, the enticement of this physical world. And he's lo yachush says the Ramban. He's not considering what the consequences are. The chacham is aroyas anoylar, sees what projects into the future. And therefore right now, as he's facing the challenge and ordeal, the future is very real for him. And it can counter the um, desire and the pleasure that's on offer. So it, it, the consequence and the pleasure are on a par on the scale. They're they're equally weighed as opposed to the ksil. He doesn't see the machar. He doesn't see what's tomorrow. And it's only the desire that's in front of him. And that's why Alken Karesh Mo Edom. That's why the Torah says his name is Edom. Because that's a great insult. You know, he's called Edom because of the red soup. In other words, he's just, he, he could only see the soup. He couldn't see any of the ramifications, the consequences. He couldn't see beyond that bowl of soup. And that's why his name is Edom. The essence of Asaph. And the essence of the Yetzirah is making us completely fixated on this physical world and, um, and not, and dominating us to the extent that we don't have the ability to control ourselves and we don't have the ability to say no and we don't have the ability to, to, um, refuse the temptations and the seductions of the physical world. And that's why his name is Edom, because that's his essence. His essence is that red soup. He's called the burger boy. He's called the, the, the McDonald's boy or the Instagram boy, because that superficial desire is all that he can, is all that is in his head and his life. And he can't refuse it and, and resist it and say no to it. So that's the essence of, of, of Asa. That's Edom. And we are in the galus of Edom. That's our generation. That's the generation we're living in. We don't have to look very far to realize how true that is, to see that that is what's going on around us, is that in our generation, it's a very superficial generation. And we struggle to say no to the physical pleasures and temptations of this world. And we struggle to let in a consciousness and an awareness of a, of a um, spiritual picture, of a spiritual perspective, of the fact that this world is just a temporary place. And we are here to develop and grow in order to ensure that we are prepared ourselves for the next world. So that is the difference between Yaakov and Esav. That is the struggle and failure of Esav. And that's the struggle of each and every one of us. Each and every one of us is, are we Yachush Lamacha? Are we Lo Yachush Lamacha? Are we concerned about the future? Are we not just in this world, but in the next world? And do we live a life accordingly? Or are we totally taken up? with our self-gratification and with the um, pursuit of power and pleasure in this world. Is Edom our essence or is Yaakov our essence? Are we able to overcome and dominate that? How do we dominate it? As we said previously, Yaakov, the word Ekev, is Kadesh Atmacha Bamuta. Can we sanctify ourselves in what's allowed? Live a life of discipline, of control, of control, of saying no to the physical desires that we just want to pursue and following the course and the framework that Hashem lays out for us in the Torah. So that's the struggle between Yaakov and Esau. 
That's the eternal battle that we all face within ourselves. In the Hashem, we should overcome. We should be able to uh, have be chachamim and roi esanoi. Let's see the future. And please, God, follow the legacy of Yaakov Avinu and live a life of holiness and of sanctity and of purity and connection to our Kodesh Baruch Hu, connection to our Shem. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day.